You are listening to One Nation Under Crime, a historical chronological true crime podcast, where at this point, we just record as many cases per year as we feel like. That's right. It's what we're going with. You know, it's our prerogative. I haven't come up with a new intro yet, so <laughs> that's it's where we our are. prerogative. And we started in the year 1800, and now here we are. I am Kayla. And I'm Leah. And we're going to continue with the year 1847. Now, I mentioned three episodes ago, I believe, that I was very excited for the one person we are focusing on this week. Oh. Because as most of you loyal listeners know, we used to cover in each episode the events of the year, the people who were born and died in each year. Then we went into our case. Well, now that we are splitting each case and each year, really, up into two cases, or more if we feel like it's our podcast. I mean, you know. So the first episode of that year, we are covering all of the events. The second half of that, we are covering the people who died and who were born that year. And each of those years, I am choosing a specific tribute, if you will, of the Hunger Games. Kind of like dealer's choice. True. To kind of hone in on and do a little bit of a biography. One of our, uh, the one we did previously was Meriwether Lewis Clark Jr., who created yes, the Kentucky, the Kentucky Derby. Derby. That was really cool. And I believe by extension, mint juleps. Um, <laughs> or had a hand in it anyway. Yes, yes, yes. Then before that, we covered uh, Dr. Seward, who stole bodies. So Which was creepy. <laughs> each time we are just choosing someone interesting. Now, I told you as well. That in this episode specifically, there were several people that I could have chosen from. And you would have been like, Kayla, why did you choose this person? Because one of these we might do an extended USBS episode on. So I specifically did not choose this person for that reason because they are very influential in history. They are not the person I chose. Okay. In true Kayla form, I chose someone else. You will see why. So, our sources for this week. We have some interesting sources. One of them that I pulled a lot of information from. And that is going to be the pamphlet that is entitled The Life and Confession of Mary Runkle. Very interesting last name. Runkle. Runkle. Um, and then we have Women and Capital Punishment in America from 1840 to 1899 by Carrie Seagrave. That's interesting. Very we specific. Ha- yes. It was a, it's a book that, w- that came out and I found a PDF expert excerpt from it, not excerpt. Um, and it was very interesting. Then Murderpedia because. Mm-hmm. Of course. Why not? And the ever formidable Murder by Gaslight. I mean, always. I didn't let you say it this week, so. Kind of made me sad. (laughs) Our births in 1847. Again, I said one of these you're going to think, interesting. Actually, several of these you're going to wonder why I didn't choose them. I have my reasons. You always do. Her first person, February 11th of 1847, Thomas Edison. I know born. him. 
He was not a personally. No. He was a businessman inventor, um, and he invented the phonograph, which is a record player, essentially. Mm-hmm. The motion picture cinema, early versions of the light bulb, and the spirit phone. We'll get into it. Spirit phone. <laughs> that sounds right up your alley. Oh, just wait. Oh, no. In 1920, Edison spoke to American Magazine saying that he had been working on a device for some time to see if it was possible to communicate with the dead. Edison said that the device would work on specific principles, not by any occult means. He was a man of science, not a man of the occult. The announcement caused a press heyday, though the actual nature of this invention remained a mystery as there were no details regarding his invention for some time. Until 2015. Yes, 2015. Claire did not like that. She, she out got up lap. and went away. She, she had to go see what was going on. Um, <laughs> Philippe Baldine a French journalist found a copy of Edison's diary in a thrift store. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. With a chapter that was not found in the previously published editions. Huh. The chapter details Edison's theories of the afterlife and the scientific basis by which communication with them could be achieved. That's intriguing. And Thomas Edison was an Aquarius. This so is the dog. He is actually not the one that we are focusing on. So Okay. I do like him. I do. He's very interesting, and he is probably That's one of the ones that we will go into further. He was very much, and we'll go into kind of the time frame that this was in in a moment, but the spirit phone was an interesting uh, theory, I'll say. So. He's been depicted in a lot of shows that I have watched. Yes. Like, I love period mm-hmm. pieces. Um, and there is... He had a lot of journals to attribute to it as well. So, I... D- yeah. They're all very similar to how I would think he would be. Yeah. And he's just he's a very interesting guy. He seems to be kind of quirky, too. Like, eccentric. I, yes. Eccentric. Um, there's one show that I really, really love. It's called The Murdoch Mysteries. And it's set in Canada. In the very early Murdoch sound familiar Murdoch with an M. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't. I you said it with a B. Murdoch. Um, um, it's a book series that was made into a um, a show, and it's that set might in be Canada. Why I know it. Um, mm. It's just it's a really neat show, and it's in the very early nineteenth century. Um, anyway, and they have figured out like, why I remember it. Go ahead, like Tesla. Is is in oh, one of the episodes? Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, Edison, just all kinds of early invent- inventors are in it, and it's just a really fun show. Uh, they had a uh, uh, Wright uh, mm-hmm. built built their house. Just Frank Lloyd Wright, yeah, Frank Lloyd Wright mm-hmm. built their house. It's just it's really just a neat show, and there's always a murder, and his um, girlfriend who becomes his wife is the coroner, which is so Mm -hmm. very, or a medical examiner, which is so very unusual at that time, Mm -hmm. so it deals with the sexism and that sort of thing. Anyway, very interesting, and I love to see that they they bring people, inventors and stuff of that time into the show, 
Um, anyway. Very interesting. Yes, it's and fiction, the reason, but they bring real people in. The reason <laughs> this should honestly be a reason that you remember the name Murdoch and not me. Um, you know, I was like, mm, that sounds familiar. How do I remember that? I dug through the files of my mind. And in the wonderful rom-com with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Jennifer Lopez, The Wedding Planner, um, in it, she looks at her boss and and they say, we need you to go take a look at the Murdoch file. And And Jennifer Lopez goes, oh, Murdoch? And she goes, yes, discretion. Because she's a wedding planner and yes, anyways, yes. they gotten divorced. So that was the reason that I remembered Murdoch because I cannot tell you how many times I have seen the movie The Wedding Planner. Good movie. Um, Massimo, you, you never watched Grey's Anatomy, did you? I did when it first came out. Then I got bored of it. The, oh God. Dang it, I'm gonna, I forgot his name now. Uh, the younger guy who was in it, who's brunette, he's still been on the show up until like a recent year. Uh, he played Massimo in The Wedding Planner. <sighs> it's going to kill me. It's going to kill me. Oh, 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 It's going to kill oh, me. Oh, Karev. Alex Karev. He yeah. is Massimo in the yes, wedding and planner. It's hilarious it once is. you put that together. Yeah. I love it. Justin Chambers is his name, and Alex Karev, he plays him. And Such it's so a funny to see good that. movie. Yes. yes. I watched it like after I had seen a lot of great and I was like, hold Wait on. Wait a minute. Is yeah. that yes? Oh gosh, yes, it's such yes, a great yes, moment. Yes. So Moving on to July 4th of this year, we have James Anthony Bailey. Do you know what he could have done? Bailey? Mm-hmm. Did he meet up with Barnum and help with he the circus? He is the circus ringmaster oh, and later owner of the Barnum and Bailey Greatest Show on Earth. I deserve something <laughs> for did. that. However... This I also found interesting. James Anthony Bailey was a cancer. P.T. Barnum was also a cancer. Hmm. I am also a cancer. Yes, you are. I just found it was very interesting that the two men that created the Barnum and Bailey Circus were both cancers. Like, just, anyways. I was just thinking you were growth, but okay. <sighs> Most people think that as well, but it's fine. <laughs> the next person we're going to get into you will uh, relate to. September 5th, Jesse James, outlaw, <gasps> gang leader, bank robber, train robber, and murderer. He was murderer. a Virgo. Yes. His birthday is very close. Shouldn't on. be. You should actually be a Cancer and I should be a Virgo. But as, Why? as Why so these that? things go, um, would you rather be associated with a circus ringmaster or murderer? Well, I mean, that's just in this I mean, particular just saying, case. Anyway. I was born on Patsy Cline's birthday, That's and, fine. which also happens to be Pink's birthday. That's fine too. I mean, so I'm fine. me and Ariana Grande share a birthday. Anyways, um, no, you don't. Her birthday isn't exactly your birthday. It's two years after mine. You and Patsy Cline share no, no, an exact no, no, no. birthday. I, All right, then. I thought you were a couple days after. Mm-mm, I'm a couple of days after uh, Demi Lovato. Okay, okay. But me I'll and Ari share a birthday. Okay, I'll take it back then. So. <laughs> 
September 20, I actually, one of her last albums that she came out with, it was one that like I listened to and it was one of those that the second I found out we shared the same birthday, I was like, I know why this album hits so close to home (laughs) because it's like literally my life. And I was like, why? Is this so, anyways? Um, yes, she's gonna be Galinda in I'm Wicked we talked about May. this in a previous episode, and yes, I love it because she tweeted like 12 years ago that she wanted to be, and anyways. So Jesse James, who's a Virgo. Sorry. September 23rd, Victoria Claughlin Woodle. She was a leader of the suffragist movement, and she Actually, we will discuss her later. <clears throat> Sorry, trigger warning for some language here, but there is only one way that I can describe this woman. So go ahead and skip forward about 15 seconds. This woman, a bad bitch, because <laughs> she is the first woman to ever run for president in the 1872 Look election. At that. Is there another phrase to describe her? I mean. No. So, she's a Libra. And then December 21st, Fletcher S. Bassett. Not you, Bubba. But he's laying down. Um, he is actually the founder of the Chicago Folklore Society, which, I mean, just interesting. That is interesting. He's a Sagittarius, which is very interesting as well. <laughs> So then our deaths in 1847. First off, we have January 19th, Charles Bent. He's the first civilian governor of the New Mexico Territory. Civilian governor? Yes, civilian governor. So he was not in politics before he became governor. Gotcha. And then January 30th, Virginia Eliza Clem died do you know who she is i do not but i bet you're about to tell me i told you he was coming up again and he will continue to come up in our history as i have a a kinship with him she was edgar Allan poe's wife (laughs) and she died in 1847 never more um i'm telling you my life's goal is to be friends with a crow that's Crows are very intelligent, and they they also remember people, and they can talk. They can, and they'll echo people. It's the craziest thing. I've seen videos of it. I have a goal in my life. They bring prizes to people. They do. They will bring you things. If you give them things, they'll bring you things, and they will always remember you. Nevermore. Um, Anyways, (laughs) love crows. Not surprising. Ravens. Anyways. Elijah Jefferson Bond. He was born on January 23rd, 1847. He was not a spy. No. Making him an Aquarius. He was born in Bel Air, Maryland. As the fourth child to Judge William Bond and Charlotte Richardson. He lived quite the life and also served alongside his brothers, Frank and Arthur, in the Confederate Army during the Civil War. He is the one we are going to focus on this week. Okay. You're not ready. I am so excited about this and you have no idea. I'm so excited. 
He attended public school in Anne Arundel, not Arundel, Arundel County, not frozen, and then graduated from law school at the University of Maryland in 1872. It is here that he met lifelong friend Harry Wells Rusk. Elijah joined the Masons, which we have discussed at length as well, on April 14th of 1873, where he was a collector from 1873 to 1877. Elijah also opened a law practice in Baltimore, where one of his most infamous cases involved a client who was accused of polygamy. Mm. But law wasn't Elijah's only passion. Oh, dear. He was also an inventor. And in 1892, he was awarded two patents, one for a water boiler and one for a steam boiler. Pretty interesting dude, right? Sounds like it. Right around this time, Elijah's friend Harry Rusk was named the president of the Kennard Novelty Company which was incorporated on October 30th, 1890. This is very important because... Muy importante. I need your full attention. You have my full I'm attention. I'm making sure. I mean, I just made a they, comment. I'm making Muy sure. importante. Because while he had several inventions and he acquired many patents... I have to look at your face in a second. It was patent number... 446,054 that was registered on February 10th of 1891 that gained him world-renowned notoriety even today for his patent. Okay. What did he do? It was the patent. Oh, no. (laughs) This is going to be bad. Of the Ouija board. It is so interesting. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, no, I'm telling you, this is, trust me. Elijah eventually sold the U.S. distribution rights for the Ouija board to the Kennard Novelty Company, which his best friend had just taken like ownership of that company. So, the Kennard Novelty Company is the one who originally took over the Ouija board. We are going to owned by Milton Bradley, right? It's purchased. It was later purchased by Milton Bradley. Okay. Yes. Look at me knowing things. There is. Let me tell you. I thought you'd be excited that I knew something. We did. We talked about this in an earlier episode as well because I talked about the birth of Milton Bradley. Um, I mean, give me some props. You're welcome. For those who are not aware, a Ouija board is known as a spirit board or a talking board. It is flat. Marked with letters A to Z, numbers 0 to 9, the words yes and no, and depending on the board, it might include the words hello and goodbye. The real question here is how much money do I need to give you for us to use a Ouija board? You ain't got it. Try me. I'll find it. We're going to start a GoFundMe, (laughs) and I'm going to... (laughs) Anyways... A planchette is included that is a semi-heart shape that serves as an indicator of the message. When I tell you the theories behind this, you may change your mind. Anyways. I think I I did one like at a sleepover when I was like in middle school and stuff. We played with See, you're fine. So I never have. So anyways. Are you kidding me? I know, right? 
I was banned. So anyways, that's probably me? why this interests me so much. So <laughs> participants sit across from one another. With, I am shocked. I know. I have played I've with never board played with a Ouija board. haven't. Mm-mm, never. Participants sit across from one another with their fingertips placed on the planchette on the board and allegedly <laughs> the planchette would move on its own to spell out messages to the users. I was a message spelled out to you. Did you learn anything from your Ouija board experience? Okay, here's the thing. Nope. I need to know. No, because it was middle school girls and somebody always moved moved it themselves. I mean, somebody was always moving it. Okay, so you never have done it in your adult life where no, because things could be different. Because I'm a grown-up now. And okay. No. Okay, just making sure. <clears throat> If anyone would like uh, my address, I will send it to you and you can send us a Ouija board. Anyways. um, (laughs) They know us too, y'all. Some might think this is a bit too far into the realm of creepy, but this was actually a part of an entire international movement called spiritualism. Spiritualism is the umbrella term used to include topics such as Honestly, all of my favorite topics. The afterlife, psychics, clairvoyance, the occult, paranormal phenomena, the spiritual world, parapsychology, shamanism, which actually has its roots in Native Americans, and Ouija. So, we haven't reached this time in U.S. history yet, but when we do you will see how widespread all of this became. And it is so interesting to see what all happens. Keep in mind, we just talked about Thomas Edison, who came up with the spirit phone, which was around the same exact time. So, anyway. Just because he invented it doesn't mean... I'm just saying. Anyway, it was a, a good invention. Doesn't mean that it wasn't a real invention either. Well, I mean, it was we... real. Doesn't mean it worked. You don't know. Spiritualists in the United States believe that the dead were able to contact the living, and some used a talking board very similar to the modern Ouija at their camps in the U.S. state of Ohio in 1886 to try and enable faster communication with the spirits. However, talking boards can be traced back as far as the Egyptians and back to China in 1100 AD. So here is my question. If we believe this, we are also simultaneously believing that talking boards and Jesus were on the earth at the same time. Yes? Moving on. The Ouija board, I'm just saying, all I need is I need a meme of Jesus using a talking board to talk to God, and my life will be complete. (laughs) Prayer. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer. I'm just saying, talking to God. Prayer. You can like not be uptight for two seconds and admit that that. You can admit that that is funny. Talking to God. I mean, I get it. I'm just saying you have to admit that that would be hilarious. That Jesus is like, I need, I need some mess in like him on a. <laughs> I'm just saying, based on the history, 
<laughs> what if it existed at the same time? You are a bit unhinged, my friend, but I, it's part of your charm. It is. And you have to admit, though, that that is funny. You you have to admit that the disciples could have been using a Ouija board and going, not a Ouija, because it was not that name then, but they were using a nice little talking board to try. I'm sorry. That image in my head is so funny. How did they decide who used the Ouija? <laughs> it's so funny. Moving on. <laughs> Dear friend, who I love. You think they looked at the one and they were like, you can't use the board. <laughs> I don't think they had a board, I love. I'm saying you don't know. Um. Look, the ways that the world works, we don't know. Um, the Ouija board was regarded as an innocent parlor game. See? Unrelated to the occult until the American spiritualist Pearl Curran, who is, I'm honestly blaming for everything, popularized it and its use as a divining tool during World War One, which honestly is like just a really bad way for somebody to do something is like, oh, your significant other died in World War One. Here, use this board to speak with them. A like divining you, tool? So a divining tool is, yes. A lot of people, remember we talked about it back in the Mormon episode where he used a seer stone as a divining tool? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then there are also divining rods that people use to like find water. But like tarot cards are also divining tools. Like all those things are considered like in the classification of divining tools. So this this person exploited a Ouija board to widows of World War One uh, as a way to speak to their departed loved ones. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Jesus wouldn't have done that. No, he um, would not have. So. <laughs> it just cracks me up in my head seeing it. <laughs> Various studies have been conducted recreating the effects of the Ouija board in the lab and showing that under laboratory conditions, the subjects were moving the planchette involuntarily. A 2012 study found that when answering yes or no questions, Ouija was significantly more accurate than just guesswork in that area, suggesting that it might draw on the unconscious mind. Skeptics have described the Ouija board's users as operators, and some critics have noted that the messages simply spelled out by spirits were similar to whatever was going through the minds of the subjects at the time. According to Professor of Neurology Terence Hines in his book called Pseudoscience and the Paranormal from 2003, don't really know why I don't own this book, but, <laughs> quote, the planchette is guided by unconscious muscular exertions, like those responsible for table movement. Nonetheless, in both cases, the illusion that the table or object or planchette is moving under its own control is often extremely powerful and sufficient to convince many people that spirits are truly at work. The unconscious, the unconscious muscle movements. Yep, 
responsible for the moving tables and Ouija board phenomena seen at seances are examples of a class of phenomena due to what psychologists call a disassociative state. A disassociative state is one in which consciousness is somehow divided or cut off from some aspects of the individual's normal cognitive, motor, and sensory functions. So what does that mean? Theoretically, the board falls into the theory of the idiomotor phenomenon, which is essentially carrying out a task without the feeling of doing so and is usually due to prior expectations, suggestions, or preconceptions of what should be happening. Basically, this phenomenon is based on the idea that just the idea that something can happen, so simply your idea that it could happen, nothing more, right, is enough to trick your brain into subconsciously making it happen. So that is the theory of, so kind of like when you, I don't know, some people may know this, but some people may not. When you're driving home and you make it home, but you don't remember your drive home, has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. So that's idiomotor phenomena. When you, something happens, you don't know how it happened, but it happened. Somewhere in your brain, your brain expected it to happen and knew what was going to happen and made it happen without your conscious mind Mm. being aware. Because I was thinking about something else. So that's kind of the thought process behind all of this. Maybe. Who knows? Hmm. So, the popular belief that the word Ouija comes from the French and German words of yes is a misconception. The name is taken from a word spelled out on the board when its inventor, Elijah Bond, asked a supposed ghost to name it. Oh. When it was officially patented by Elijah Bond, it became a parlor game that was fun for everyone to gather around and see what happens. It was actually super popular during this time because men and women were not known to be in a room together with others. So little cute couples that thought that they like had little crushes would sit across from each other from the Ouija board with their little knees touching and use the Ouija board. So that was how it became popular from all of this. See, again, I, just another way for someone mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. the little thing move, mm-hmm. you know. And, and there's so happen. many different, like, there's studies from each side that is actually, like, like it said, there has been some studies that show that Ouija was more accurate than just guesswork. Like, so it's kind of like what, it, it could be from any side, which is very interesting to me, considering how people believe or think of Ouija in general. I mean, really, you could think of it as no different than Monopoly. Like, you know, like it's yeah, it's mean, honestly I'm, no different. But it, to me, it's just a it's weird. It, it um, was just it was just a silly thing yeah. that we did in middle school. I mean, so, really, that's that's what it was. Elijah Bond married Mary Peters of Maryland and they had one child together, William Brown Bond. Elijah later returned to Baltimore and suffered a stroke of paralysis in 1919. 
He died on April 14th of 1921 and was laid to rest at Green Mount Cemetery in Baltimore, Maryland, along with his wife, her family, his son, and grandchild. But that is not where this story ends. Robert Murch is the world's foremost collector, historian, and expert on Ouija and talking boards and serves as the chairman of the board for the Talking Board Historical Society that he founded. He has collaborated with Hasbro, Toyco, the National Archives, the Library of Congress, and served on as an expert on films and shows such as What Lies Beneath, The CW Supernatural, Ghost Adventures, and TNT's Rizzoli and Isles. This is only a snippet to the list that is much longer that also includes the Wall Street Journal and the Smithsonian Magazine. So this guy is like, super well-known in this world. He is still alive today. He's actually pretty young. Like, he's not, I mean, like, he's pretty young. He's in his 40s, probably. He's a young guy. Thank like, you for saying that's young. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I was, I, um, just saying. Last weekend, I bought a baby outfit for a friend. Mm-hmm. I told the lady I was buying it for a friend who had had fertility issues, by the way. And call back to our last episode. Uh-huh. And when I was walking away, she said, Enjoy your grand baby. And I looked at her and I said, What? <laughs> what? She said, Enjoy your grandbaby. And I looked at her and I said, Um, no, 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 no. Nobody's lived in this body but me. <laughs> Nobody's lived in this body but, but me. me. <laughs> this is my friend's I'm sorry. baby. I've I'm not. I have not had a parasite, and I can say that because I've had a child. I've not had a parasite amongst me, ma'am. I'm sorry. This is my friend's baby. Dude. People. I do not look like a grandmother. I do not look like a grandmother. No. No. Anyway, continue. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just it just can't. Mm. Continue. Oh gosh. Okay. After <sighs> after the audacity in one pocket and, and the, the gall, gall in the other. other. Okay. I'd already paid her too. After a 1515 year hunt. Robert Murch discovered Elijah Jefferson Bond's unmarked grave in Greenmount Cemetery in 2007. Why was it unmarked? It was just unmarked. It was just one of those areas that it wasn't marked and no one could figure out where it was. So this guy who had... He watched a movie when he was younger that involved a Ouija board. And from there, he kind of just became obsessed with the thought of it. And now he's like... He's very well-known in the community. He's like the foremost expert on all things Ouija and talking boards. He was actually, fun fact, some people may not find this fun. I found it fun. I found it delightful and whatever. He is one of the first ever same-sex couple marriages to ever be married in the United States. I just found that interesting. That is good for him. That I mean, to good be a for first, him. that is groundbreaking. And he, you know, 
Good for him. And now Ouija. You'll also see now why he has his name in the history books in another way. He (laughs) discovered the unmarked grave and he worked tirelessly with the cemetery and eventually received permission to install a gravestone for Elijah. Everybody deserves to be remembered. Coincidentally, it was during this process that he also located Walter Dent Jr., Bond's great grand nephew, and Winifred Pierce. Winifred, gotta love that. I do. Who was his great great grand niece. Walter Dent himself, not Walter Dent Jr., was 98 at the time. And he and his daughter generously gave Merch their family's permission to erect a memorial for oh, Elijah. See, that is cool. Tegler Monuments agreed to take on the project and began crafting the headstone while Merch raised the necessary funds to pay for the memorial. Thanks to Merch's hard work, Elijah Jefferson Bond truly has one of the most memorable headstones of all time which shows the traditional headstone on one side and a replica of a Ouija board carved on the other. The grave is now a popular destination for nostalgia fans and people interested in the supernatural. Elijah Bond has quite literally found himself on the other side of a Ouija board. (laughs) I love it. And really, if you Google it, it is literally a Ouija like it is the funniest and best thing for the person that like it's the best thing ever but let me tell you that does make me think of the song from Dear Evan Hansen nobody deserves to be forgotten mm-hmm. 100% everybody deserves a headstone everyone to be remembered they were here mm-hmm. they did something I mean not everybody has a patent for something but everybody was somebody's I'm, child I'm 90 my mom could correct me on this I'm 90% sure my dad does not have a headstone <gasps> oh no that's a whole well, other it's a whole other issue but I'll help you fix that um I know where he is it's a very 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 small cemetery I know exactly where he is but I'm my mom could correct me on this, and that could have changed at some point, but I'm 90% sure. I want to help you fix that but if he doesn't have one. <laughs> I, I do. His, actually, when this comes out, my dad's birthday will be coming up. My dad's birthday is Flag Day every year, June 14th. <laughs> so we actually, and I will go ahead and put this in here. I received, I put this in my work Slack account the other day. I received an email from Canva. For those of you who don't know what Canva is, Canva helps me I created our logo on Canva. I create all of our social media posts on Canva. Everything that I do for the podcast is on Canva. I pay a fee every month to be able to use it because it's very easy for us to use, very easy for us to actually create professional content. I received an email last week and it said the subject line that I I got was, do you want to not receive emails about Father's Day? And I was like, weird. So I opened it. Typically, I delete these emails. Like just any promotional email, I'll just delete it. They come to our inbox for the podcast anyways, whatever, I delete it. And I was like, huh, interesting. I'll Mm -hmm. open it. And the email said, we understand that the holidays are a difficult time for people. And with Father's Day coming up, They did not do this for Mother's Day. 
which is very interesting. So this is something new that they've started. They said, we understand with holidays coming up, Father's Day is a more difficult time for people than others. Because of this, we have recreated the settings on our profiles to include an option to opt out of any seasonal emails. Wow. So you can now opt out of Mother's Day emails, Father's Day emails, Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever. You can tell it exactly what emails you want to opt out of. Now, for people who don't understand how big this is. That's big. I am 30. I will be 31 this year. In less than a month. I was gonna say, but coming up, coming up. <laughs> my dad died when I was 12. It was a very tragic situation. I have a lot of deep-seated issues with it. Anyways, moving on. He was born on Flag Day, which is June 14th. My birthday, June 26th of every year. Father's Day always lands in the same time period. So while I am fine, I still cope with things that I deal with. It can still sometimes be jarring when you start to see Father's Day things in your inbox and be a constant reminder that these events are coming up and you are not in the experience of having that. Even for families that don't have fathers, like even for families who don't have mothers, like we know that a family unit is not a mother and father and child. It can be an adopted family. It can be anything. You also can completely choose your family. You know, it can be a group of friends. It can, exactly. Who are your family? So, and I got that email and I was like, you know what? That's awesome. That's amazing for the fact that you're sending one, those are promotional emails. You're sending those emails in the hopes that someone is going to spend money that gives you more money. So you're trying to make money off your business. But for you to take a step back and say, you know what? There's something more important than making money. And that is this. And I was like, you know what? Man, like, God, that is so accurate. Like, because I am a person who my dad's birthday, Father's Day, and my birthday fall within the same two weeks, two Mm -hmm. and a half weeks of every year. So while some years it passes over and I don't ever think about it, I don't ever think about it. It It's not a thought that crosses my mind. I don't put it, it's not a reminder for me. My dad's birthday is not on my calendar. Like it's not something of that. Father's Day, always a difficult day as it always is. However, I was like, you know what? I posted it to our, our company's Slack channel just because like we, do a lot of promotional things and we have a really amazing marketing department. And I was like, Hey, just as for y'all to see, like we'll post things in like different channels that are like this, this was a channel that was just about random stuff. And I was like, Hey, like this is a really, this is amazing. And the family, the company that I work for is very much into intentional marketing where they don't want to just market to market. They want to market in a way that that is good to other people. And actually our head of marketing was like, this is amazing. I'm so glad you shared this. 
Like it is amazing that companies think about this now that, where they didn't that really before. really is awesome. And like for people who have lost, like especially in the past two years, like a lot of people oh, have gosh, not grieved. Yes. They've not grieved their family because they couldn't. And it's just like, you know what? God, that's amazing. But it's just like you said, like no one deserves to be forgotten, but also on the same hand, like I also don't need to be reminded every year that like, you know, and so it was just something that was so amazing. So, and I remember, um, a boss that I had, mm -hmm. he lost his mom Mm -hmm. and he was going about his, his life and about Mm -hmm. his day. Hadn't taken any time off or anything. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Mm-hmm. And his mother's birthday came along and it just took the air out of his it lungs. It does. And he didn't realize it was going to mm-hmm. until the day actually it doesn't. came. And he was like, hey, I'm not going to be in today. It, You know. It's really, and I can and say. And you don't know it's going to happen mm-mm. until it happens. And I can say this from experience that. I was very young when my dad died, but I also did not mourn in the way that I should have because there were just a lot of things going on in my life. And so there's like a little part of me that will mourn any time that I remember it just because I never, I never processed it in the way that I should for many, 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 many reasons on top of another. But It is, I can totally understand that because then some years when I'm reminded like, oh, it's June 14th, it's flag day, it's dad's birthday. Like it's one of those things that like, if the day just passes and I never think about it, it's fine. But the years that it is somehow in my brain, it's like my dad goes, hey, hey, I'm like, dad. Yeah need you go right now like now is not the time um it, but it, it does it hits you like yeah. I, out of nowhere and you're just like or it it's happened to me two different years where I'm like God, like I today is just a day that like I remember something's that. wrong with I me yeah that. I was like I don't know what is going on I was like I I'm really out of sorts today. I just don't feel like myself. I'm really sad for some reason. Like, and I couldn't pinpoint it. One year it happened to me, it was the anniversary of his death. And then the other year it happened to me, it was his birthday. Yeah, I mean, and she was at, like, she was, she was off, like way off. It was weird. She was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't feel I'm just, good I'm today. Right. No, off. I was out of it. It was yeah. just like one of those. It was like I had an endoscopy and I was just, but she had, but I hadn't. So it was just very interesting. But yeah, I mean, people don't deserve to be forgotten. But the story of the man who patented the Ouija board, like I couldn't, I could not skip over that. I love that somebody found him and made sure that he and his family weren't forgotten. And Pete, it is now like a massive tourist destination. And like they raised the funds to be able to like have his headstone there. And I'm serious. Like it is the coolest and weirdest headstone you've ever seen. Because it is truly. And so now he is really remembered. Really. And you, he is literally on the other side of a Ouija board now. <laughs> like, it is just so cool. So. To the <laughs> other side. Oh, 
Yes. You're welcome. I. Why did you do that to me? Because I wanted you to have an earworm. And now I have it. Trust me. You're welcome. Uh, somebody the other day said that The Greatest Showman wasn't a really good movie. And did you slap him? It wasn't in person that I saw it. So well, that's good. Anyways, however, one of the best movies ever. Actually, one of the best songs ever is the To the Other Side because yes, so good. Anyways, I can't. I can't go into that right now. I have emotions on that movie. Um, Leah knows how I am. If I get too emotional about one thing, I can't talk about it too much. Um, so. So many good songs in that movie. So many. And Zac Efron, Zendaya. Ugh. Anyways. So August pretty. 18th of 1847, John Runkle died under mysterious circumstances and his wife, Mary, was immediately the target of suspicion. Always the spouse. Mary Runkle was born in Root, New York, to, quote, respectable and pious parents. Okay. In the confession she later wrote, which we'll go into it, she said that she actually wasn't really aware of how old she was. It was estimated at the time that she was 50, but she didn't really know her real age or her date of birth. She lived with her parents and brothers and never said how many brothers until she met John Runkle. The couple were engaged when Mary heard some talks of misconduct relating to John. Mary wanted to call off the marriage. Sound familiar? But mm. she would rather have the stay. She would rather have uh what did I put here? Oh. I'm not reading the notes. So. I know. She would rather have the stain of John's known indecencies upon her than the stain of a broken engagement. Oh, well, I mean, you know, you know because John, society. Exactly. John promised that it would never happen again, as they all do, and that he would make amends for his conduct, and he took an oath upon the Bible that he would never again be guilty of the same misconduct. Interesting. The same misconduct, mm-hmm. but not any misconduct. Oh, please take that of note. They married, and just two weeks after the marriage, new problems began to arise new in the couple's problems, relationship. But not the same problems. Mm-hmm. It's never really conveyed exactly what these issues were, but it was noted that the couple continued to live together. That was all it said: is that they continued to live together. They cohabitated, mm-hmm. but not in harmony. Around a year after they got married, Mary became jealous of John, and she wanted to leave him. Her parents forbid her to get a divorce, and she stayed with John. 1847 is just the year of... Anyways, I... (laughs) Keep in mind... Wait, wait, how old was she at the time that her parents forbade her I don't even know. I don't know. Probably 15. She was a spencer. (laughs) Um, Keep in mind that all of this that we have to go off of comes from Mary's confessions. So, a lot of this we can probably take with a grain of salt. But we don't have anything else to really go off of. They lived near Mary's parents for about 10 years. 
10 years when suspicions around whoa, Mary whoa, began. <laughs> he couldn't provide her with a home. She, they had to live with her parents. Not with her parents, in the area of her parents oh, for 10 I years. I thought you said no, no, with no, no, no. her parents. And I thought, no, no, no. Oh, they lived near no. her parents for 10 years. They, I mean, no. telling her she can't divorce them and they got to all live together. That is a problem. Exactly. So <laughs> you see that at this time, um, the suspicions around Mary began because, you know, a week after marriage wasn't going great, but uh, 10 years should be going swimmingly, right? I mean, um, they should know each other by now, right? No. Um, you see, there was a reason that Mary immediately became the first suspect in John's murder. And this is just the first in a series of events that led up to that. A peddler was passing through the area, selling goods on credit. He disappeared before he could make his collections. Authorities tracked the peddler as far as the Runkles' house, but they couldn't find any further trace of him past there. Two young daughters of the Runkles went to school wearing new dresses, saying their mother had plenty of the cloth to make it. Okay, wait. So they ain't happy, but they got kids. Got more than two. Anyway. Okay. (laughs) I just said kids. I mean, I'm I'm not saying saying, like it was by choice. I I was just saying. Yes. I was just saying. Repeating this to their teacher fed a growing suspicion that the Runkles had murdered the peddler and had stolen his merchandise. Right, right. A few days later, the two girls were found drowned in a shallow tub of water. Oh, no. Miss Runkle said that she had left her older son in charge of them, but he did not supervise them. According to her, she was in the house with three of her children, and she regularly kept them in the house away from their father because he, allegedly, mistreated them. It was a nice fall day outside, and since John was out in the field working, she let the children go outside to play. She instructed the oldest that he needed to return before their father arrived home. They had been gone for quite a bit, and Mary decided to go ahead and call them inside. But only the oldest son came to the door. She asked where the other two children were, and he said that he didn't know. Mary ran outside calling for them and started to look for them in different places. She thought they might have hidden, but she couldn't find them. She decided to go ahead and take a pail of water to the bathhouse, but when she reached the door, it was locked. Oh, no. Mary burst through the door where she found her two children drowned in a tub of water. Mary claimed she collapsed on the floor at the site, and once John arrived... He either kicked or nudged her with his foot, asking what she was doing there. John helped Mary into the house where she again fainted, and the next thing she recalls is waking up to a number of people around her. A coroner's jury was called, and an inquest was held, which returned a verdict of accidental drowning for the two children. The funerals for the children occurred, but after several days, the children were disinterred. And another coroner's jury was called, and a second inquest was held. At this inquest, a Dr. J. Young made a post-mortem examination, and he believed that the children had been poisoned. 
There wasn't much more to the story that I could find, but the family did move to the town of St. Johnsville after this. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So he just believed they were poisoned? It didn't? Mm -hmm. That was it? That was it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not helpful. <laughs> they lived in St. Johnsville for about four months before they moved to the town of Oppenheim. During all of this time, and even before the death of her two children, both John and Mary were arrested on various charges of theft. Mary claims that any instance that involved her um, occurred due to pressure from her husband, John. Then not long after the first tragedy of losing two children, the couple's third child, their son, according to Mary, became sick with measles and died. But suspicions quickly arose that this child was poisoned as well. Then not long after the first tragedy of losing two children and then the couple's third child, according to Mary, um, things just got worse. This is horrible. <laughs> This brings us to the year of 1847 when the couple moved to Utica where they were quickly arrested for taking clothes from the clothesline of a neighbor. Mary claims she was also not guilty of this and that John took the clothes and then asked Mary just to iron them. On August 20th of that year, John's health was declining and he was given four vials of medication and a quarter gallon of brandy as well as other topical medication to help. I mean, that's some medicine right there. One afternoon, he became furious with Mary and started yelling at her. She tried to calm him down, but she wasn't able to. According to Mary, keep in mind that I keep saying according to Mary, uh-huh, because this uh-huh. is all from Mary's account. We're not really, like, I'm not saying Mary's wrong. This is just all her account. Correct. Mm-hmm. So this could very well be very biased, and I'm aware. Um, He grabbed her hair and started dragging her across the floor while kicking and hitting her until she was almost unconscious. She got away and said she was going to call for help, but John threatened her and said that he would break her neck if she tried to report him. Later that night, he asked Mary to bring him some milk before bed. He then took twice the amount of medication he had been taking before, noted that the milk tastes sour, and went to sleep. Periodically through the night, he was awakened and called Mary to bring him something to drink, and each time she did. She eventually got into bed around 1 a.m. and fell asleep until she was awoken with John sitting on top of her and his hands around her throat. That's not good. Mary allegedly tried to defend herself and claimed that John was beating her again. Once it ended, John demanded a clean shirt, and he laid back down in bed to go to sleep. It wasn't long after that Mary, allegedly, heard John making strange noises when she grabbed a light to take a look and she noticed that he was foaming from the mouth. She told her daughter to go to the neighbors to get help. The next day at the coroner's inquest, it was held and the verdict was delivered that John's death was not natural or caused by poisoning, but rather the result of a beating inflicted by Mary and their 12-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, and both were arrested. Oh. Are there any more children? (laughs) I don't think so. Okay. Once Mary was arrested, 
all of the missteps from her past started to come forward. The charges of theft, the poisoning of her two children, the alleged mysterious circumstances of her third child's death, and other odd occurrences that frequently frequently occurred in the Runkle household. In court, John was described as a feeble man whose health had been declining for quite some time. Both Mary and Elizabeth testified that John had gotten out of bed several times that night and fell to the floor, which was the cause of the injuries that appeared on him that were noted by the coroner. Mary also testified that all of the bruises and abrasions on her own body occurred when she tried to help her husband back into the bed. However, the neighbors testified that when they arrived at the house to help, John was laid in the bed in a clean shirt, dead and cold, and there were traces of blood on the floor that had been mopped up. When the authorities searched the house, a bundle of clothing was found hidden in the attic, which contained a shirt covered in blood. Accounts by Mary and her daughter about the clothing were conflicting and contradicted the facts drastically. The jury began to deliberate on September 21st, and less than three hours later, they returned with the verdict. Most of the courtroom felt that Mary would, at worst, be found guilty of second-degree murder. Her daughter was very young, and she wasn't actually officially charged with a crime. She was just arrested. So it wasn't, like, really an official charge. So she was kind of, like... She was just kind of brought in because she, yeah, she was involved She somehow. wasn't included, though, yeah. in this. The jury found Mary Runkle guilty of first-degree murder, and she was sentenced to death. Mm. In the period between her conviction and her execution, Mary Runkle published her story in an eight-page pamphlet entitled Life and Confession of Mary Runkle, which most of the early information that I said before was kind of pulled from this pamphlet because that's all we know about their life before the murder. She wrote in this pamphlet, <clears throat> quote, my cup of affliction being full, drugged with the bitterest draught of gall, has led me to reflect that I soon must die. I endeavored to breathe out my grief, to unheed winds, and shed in silent the bitter tears that have been coursing each other from my streaming eyes. Mary originally thought that the pamphlet would help everyone see that she had been through such a tragic Really, situation, I guess, is the best yeah. way to describe it. But not everyone believed it. And it didn't really work in the favor that she thought. Her attorneys had petitioned the governor to commute her sentence. The governor was not moved. On the day of her execution, an estimated 1,000 people gathered in the streets of Whitesboro and around the courthouse. Again. <laughs> Although, Why? although, Why? I'll say, although the execution was private, no one was allowed to see the execution. Well, good. People still gathered outside. I don't understand. They did when Ted Bundy was executed as I well. I don't understand that either. So, Mary Runkle was executed on November 9th of 1847 with a new method of hanging. I am 99% sure we have discussed this method before. I could be wrong, and I could have listened to too many true crime podcasts other than ours. But You? Right? 
<laughs> Rather than falling through a trap door, the prisoner, I am so sure we talked about this. The prisoner is yanked upwards. Haven't we talked it's about like this? like a counterbalance. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, a ca- okay. I th- I was like, I know we've talked about this. Um, See, I do listen to you when you talk. <laughs> Mary Runkle sat on a chair in a room inside the Whitesboro jail with the noose around her neck and the rope passed up through a hole in the ceiling. So, like, no one could actually see the counterweight or anything. That sounds even worse. I know. I, I, I know. It's very weird. As she was positioned for death, a reporter observed, quote, What a sight. A woman, a mother, a wife, charged with a number of murders, dressed in preparation for her execution. Her arms bound down, seated under the instrument of death, silent and fixed. With but a few minutes of existence left and no emotion visible, the bell rang, the cord was cut, and she was launched into eternity. Launched. Not a word. Not a motion, but a heaving of the breast. Thus ended the earthly fate of Mary Runkle. And that is the case. So, yeah. It is such a case of maybe this happened. Like, because there's just so, we know for every story, there are three sides. Yours, mine, and the truth. And all we have to go off of is hers. So I'm sure when you're writing the confession of a murder, you're going, I'm not saying it's incorrect that maybe her husband wasn't the worst. I'm saying if you're trying to not be executed, maybe you might elaborate. I don't like this case because I don't see, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I can't. Mm -mm. There's no way to know. And there's no like thing to say like, oh, this is exactly what happened. And that's what's so weird about it because we have her confession and then her sentence and that's it. And everything that's previous to that is from her. And I want to know what happened to her daughter. Who did her daughter go live with? Like her parents? They still had family. And I would think it would be her parents because her parents were the ones that were mentioned quite frequently. And then like, how did they treat her? Did she have like this stigma around her? Did she was she able to get married? Did she don't have know this stigma? That I want I want to there know. There was the story so much to this that like just wasn't there, and it was so weird that it was just like, hmm. I want to know the lasting effect on this poor child. I mean, I want to know well, what she knew. You know, we don't know that in a lot of cases. Well, I and know, it appeared but this from poor everything. Child. It appeared from everything that I read that the daughter did not know anything, but she knew something. Well, she didn't know very much. From, she knew what was something about what happened with her younger she, siblings. She had to know. She something. wasn't that old when all of that happened. She was younger than the, than them, so she did not hmm. know. So. I now for her now siblings. I wonder what her mother may have said. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I'm like saying what kind of threats her mom may have given to make her behave her herself. Dad could have given those threats. And very, her, her dad could have. I mean, right. her right. You're right. I just I don't know. There was a lot, and it was so. 
this confession, like I said, it was eight pages long and it was so much and so flowery. And so like, it was just one of those that it's like, ma'am, we didn't have to make it like this. Like <laughs> it, it was just one of those things. But regardless, that was one of our cases for 1847. The case of Mary and John Runkle. Well, I don't feel satisfied with this one at all. I don't either. I'm in but I found right it. Now. But I found it very interesting that in both cases, both for the year of 1847, both women were not wanting to move forward with the marriage. Mm. And in one of those, the woman died. And in the other one, she didn't. The man died. So I just found it well, a very... she did die. Right. But I'm saying, like, in a murder or anything. Like, I found the juxtaposition of the two very intriguing. I'm Angelica Scott <laughs> with this case. I mean, yes. So you can imagine my distress when having to research. Um, so I need more. That is our episode 55. 55. 55. And we cannot wait to see you guys next week. Actually, when this comes, yeah, yeah, the next episode that comes out should be June 13th, and I'll be out of town. So that's exciting. Whoop, whoop. Leo will be watching my cats. Um, I have to make you a key. <laughs> so I'm. I was going to say, I don't know where one was sitting in your lap. But anyway, we appreciate you guys joining us for this week's episode of One Nation Under Crime. We do. Guys, if you want to find us bad enough, you should know where to find us by now. Um, and any, we're glad that you find us. Yes. Any and everywhere you can think of, you can find us. Just search for One Nation Under Crime or on Twitter at at ONUCpod. We are most active on Instagram. So just go to Instagram and find One Nation Under Crime. Um, we are so happy that you guys are here. Go become patrons. Uh, the next time we record, we will have another patron episode to record. So be on the lookout for that, patrons. We love you, you guys. you never know what's going to come up in those episodes. Never know. I think this next one's going to be along the similar lines of our past one. I liked our past Owen, our, uh, ONUC, our ONUC USBS. Uh, WTF. <laughs> I and if you've listened, stuff, yeah, if you've listened, then you know what, what we mean by that. But I think our next one might kind of fall along the same lines. That was a fun one. That was a good one to record. So I'm sure we can find similar I things I was on a well. roll. It was great. So we will see you guys here. Same time. Different crime. New Year. I was going to say New Year. <laughs> Look at that. And we love you guys. We Remember, do. there isn't always liberty and justice for all. Nope. Especially if the words of your case are only your words and no one else's. And this so no true. one really knows what happened. Take videos, pictures, well, like was, document it stuff, was 1847. So. I mean, but it's not anymore. So you you have a smartphone, use it. Document, <laughs> go, document, go document. Go find a Ouija board. Tell us what you find out. No, don't We do, love don't you guys. That. We love you. Goodbye. Bye.